Let's go ahead and get into the Word of God tonight. Let's pray, huh? Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful worship, and God, we pray that it was just uh, a blessing to you. Lord, you're worthy of our praises, and we thank you so much for saving us from sin, giving us eternal life, Lord. And uh, God, we thank you for your wonderful promises throughout Scripture to encourage us as we walk with you. And now, Lord God, as we open up your word, we pray that you would teach us, apply it to our lives. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us will be different than the way we came in tonight. So we thank you, and we give this time to you now, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in 1 Kings. Uh, chapter 5 is where we're, good job. Uh, we're in 1 Kings chapter 5, and uh, we're, we're, stu- we're right now in the midst of the life of Solomon. And uh, so, now tonight we're going to kind of, uh, we, we won't read every single thing because there's a lot of details in these chapters that, and, and they're important. The details are important. Don't get me wrong. We're, we just are going to pass over them because, uh, you know, part of the details is it really helps us understand these are real-time events in real human history, and they really give us so much validity to these things going on. I think it's also important, and we'll make note of this, is the details of what Solomon does as he prepares to build this temple. But we're picking up, last week we left off with um, all that Solomon had been uh, doing and uh, how God had blessed Solomon, and we're picking up this week as he prepares to build the temple of God. So starting out at chapter 5, verse 1, now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon because he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram had always loved David. Then Solomon said to Hiram, saying, You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord, his God, because of the wars which were fought against him on every side until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given my rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. And behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne... In your place, he shall build the house for my name. Verse 6, now therefore, command that they cut down cedars for for me from Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants, and I will pay you wages for your servants according to whatever you say. For you know that there is none among us who has skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. Now, Hiram is uh, the king of Tyre, and that's north of Israel. Uh, one of the Phoenician cities. It was a neighboring city. Uh, and so Solomon is reaching out to the, this, uh, this ally that he has and saying, we need supplies, we need lumber. I'll send some workers. We'll work with your workers and we'll also pay you for these supplies. But I want to draw your attention real fast to verse three and four. Is, as Solomon talks about his father, David, uh, we know that King David desired to build the temple, but God told King David, no, you're not going to build the temple. King David was a man of war. God didn't want him to build the temple. In fact, God even told him that, no, your son is going to build the temple, Solomon. Uh, but King David, in the knowledge of this, gathered up the supplies and the things needed for Solomon to build the temple. Now, what's the purpose of the temple? 
You and I often, I mean, the way we see church is a time, a place for us to gather as believers. The the church building is a place for believers to gather together, to fellowship with one another, and to worship our God, to learn uh, God's Word, and, and to grow in the knowledge of Him. That's what the church building facilitates. It's really a gathering point for, for the body of Christ. Not so with the temple. The temple was literally considered a house for God. And the, not that they believed that God didn't have a house or he could be just encompassed in a house, but the idea here was that God had given them the tabernacle, that tent in the wilderness in the book of Exodus. And a couple of years ago, we finished Exodus. And, and uh, that tent, that tabernacle housed the fixtures for God. And it was a way in which man would come closer to God through sacrifice, through offerings. And, and that was how man was not only forgiven of sin, but had fellowship with God and, uh, and would, would be able to worship God. You couldn't worship God without the tabernacle. Well, that's what the temple's facilitating. They're looking at more as a house for God, not so much a gathering place for the Jewish people. But it's an important one. And so David recognized that how could I live in a house and you don't, God? And God kind of told David, no, I don't need a house. You're not going to build it. King, uh, your son will. And now uh, Solomon's at this place. But I do want to say this about King David. I love the fact that King David had prepared, okay, I can't build you a house, but I'm going to give you an inheritance to build up this house of God. And I think about this for parents, and I want to challenge you on this, is what kind of spiritual inheritance are you going to give to your kids? And it's something you should be thinking about. How will you pass off this wonderful spiritual inheritance to your kids? You know, there is a myth going around, and it's a terrible myth. And it's kind of like, oh, don't tell your kids what to believe. Let your kids discover it on their own. You don't want to influence their decision. Oh, my goodness, that is a terrible life from the pit of hell. Listen, uh, everybody has freedom to believe, but I'll tell you right now, it is an absolute lie that you think that the world won't try to already influence your kid. They're going to. The the world's already going to influence your kid, but you can give them a rich spiritual inheritance as you should. So consider those things that you can do to build up your kids in the Lord. To, to take time for teaching moments in the Lord, to get them into the scriptures. I'm, I'm not saying that everything has to be a spiritual thing. In fact, sometimes I'll, I'll joke with my kids kind of like, um, okay, kids, come over here, you know, for Bible or whatever. And they all laugh because they know that I'm not really going to torture them all the time at home be, being pastor's kids, you know. But, uh, but, but we take time. We, we talk about things. When issues come up, we talk about them from the context of the scriptures, we're build, I'm building my kids up so they understand that Christian worldview, how Christians approach things. Even last year as we dealt with the pandemic, the shutdown, the lockdowns, all these things, we talked around the dinner table about how Christians approach these things, what we do, why we're helping people, all those sorts of things build into this. And uh, I just want to challenge you, Uh, especially those of you with kids, to prepare that spiritual inheritance for your kids so that they can honor the Lord and worship the Lord. Well, um, Hiram uh, sent to Solomon, you can skip down to verse 8, I have considered the message which you you sent me, and I will do all you desire concerning the cedar and cypress logs. My servants shall bring them down from Lebanon to the sea. 
I will float them in rafts by the sea to the place you indicate to me, and we'll have them broken apart there. Then you can take them away, and you shall fulfill my desire by giving food for my household. And so uh, Solomon, the following verses, uh, Solomon is, is going to pay for this labor. And you can go to verse 13. Then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of Israel, and the labor force was 30,000 men and sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon and two months at home. So they worked, worked for one month, came back for two months. Uh, and uh, Solomon had, verse 15, Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens, 80,000 who quarried stone in the mountains, beside, uh, besides 3,300 from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the work. And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, and the Gebelites quarried them, and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. Massive building project that Solomon is beginning to undertake. And we're going to see that Solomon's building projects, this is truly the golden age of Israel. Chapter 6, verse 1. And it came to pass in the 480th year... After the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month that he began to build the house of the Lord. Now, I'm going to pause there. This is an important verse because this gives us a timeline for the exodus of Israel because we know that Solomon began to reign in 971 B.C., so that he starts the building project about 970, or 967 B.C., 966, you know, give or take a year. That means the exodus would have happened in 1446, 1447. So that's, uh, that, this is an important verse to give us a time frame for Israel's history. And you can just mark that uh, anywhere you want in the Bible or note, make a note of that. But uh, so Solomon reigned for four years prior to the commencement of building. So that means that those early four years he was preparing. And look at this massive project that it's, and the laborers it's going to take. And, and um, I mean, it's amazing that he's, God's given him total peace. So he doesn't have these men going out to battle. He has this army that would be battling is now building. And, uh, and so he's doing that. Verse 2, now the house uh, which King Solomon built for the Lord... Its length was 60 cubits. A cubit is, is 18, about 18 inches. So it's width 20 and its height 30 cubits. The vestibule in front of the sanctuary of the house was 20 cubits long across the width of the house. And the width of the vestibule extended 10 cubits from the front of the house. And he made for the house windows with beveled frames. Against the wall of the temple, he built chambers all around against the walls of the temple, all around the sanctuary and the inner sanctuary. Thus he made side chambers all around it. The lowest chamber was five cubits wide, the middle was six cubits wide, the third was seven cubits wide, for he made narrow ledges around the outside of the temple so that the support beams would not be fastened in the walls of the temple. And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. The doorway for the middle story was on the right side of the temple. They went up by the stairs to the middle story and from the middle to the third. So as Solomon begins his work, we know from Chronicles that it tells us that uh, it was on Mount Moriah. That's 2 Chronicles 3.1. You can just make a note of that. Uh, that tells us that it was on Mount Moriah where the location of this temple was built. Of course, we, 
we believe that the, the, the site of Solomon's temple is also the site of the current temple mount. Uh, King Herod expanded that current temple mount uh, where we, you know, the western wall of that temple mount is the welling wall for the Jews. Uh, and of course, currently there's the Dome of the Rock on top of that. Now that's going to be a central uh, place of end times prophecy. In fact, recently it was really interesting. They were talking about the Temple Mount in Saudi Arabia. And uh, Saudi Arabia, they were saying there were some cartoons and political things going on. And one of the things that they were saying, this was just a few months ago, was that uh, the Dome of the Rock, uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque, is not uh, an important key place for Islam, but rather the Kabul is in Saudi Arabia. And all of a sudden there was this chatter that, that Al-Aqsa Mosque is not that important to Islam. Now, my understanding always up to this point was it's the third most holy place in all of Islam. Uh, but we all know that something's got to give for God, or for the Jews in the end times to have that temple re-erected and rebuilt on that temple mount there on Mount Moriah. And so uh, it was just really interesting that they're starting to have this talk saying that the Jews, who cares if the Jews have a place of worship? So it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the coming years, but uh, that, that is the, probably the traditional place also. So Solomon is building this temple. Now, the, I don't know if you noticed there, it said in verse 7, when it was being built, it was built with stone finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. This is interesting that no hammer, no tool, uh, was, you couldn't hear anything being built. Uh, like, like, you just think what, how lo- loud a construction site is. I worked in construction for, for some time prior to coming into ministry full-time. And even while I was in ministry, well, ministry part-time, I was also working in construction. And construction's loud. You know, it's, there's a lot of hammering, chiseling, all that sort of stuff. And uh, it's just a lot of noise. But here, they did all the chiseling, all the coring, all away from the Temple Mount. Now, one of the things I think about this is that it really kind of is almost like this giant building going up silently. Because the temple proper was about 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet high. That was... It was a big building that was being built, but they were cutting all the stones for the building off in this quarry. And so you can just imagine how skilled these guys are that someone sends them, okay, here's a list of what I need. They're over there chiseling, building, cutting away the stone. No sound is being made. These things are just being coming quietly. And it kind of kind of gives this idea that, that man's, it wasn't about man. It wasn't a building of man. It, in fact, it was never supposed to be a monument to man or uh, something to bring glory to man. And this building is incredible when they're done because uh, we're going to see that he overlays everything with gold inside and it's just a really incredible building. But uh, no sounds while this building is being built. Uh, so he built the temple and finished it, verse 9. And he paneled the temple with the beams and boards of cedar. He built side chambers against the entire temple, each five cubits high. They were attached to the temple with cedar beams. Verse 11, then the Lord, then the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, verse 12, concerning this temple, which you are building, if you walk in my statutes 
execute my judgments, keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will perform, perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father, David. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon is given this conditional statement by the Lord that if he is faithful, and look, look at what, it is, what, what, the, what is qualified as faithful, walking in God's statutes, executing God's judgments, and keeping all of God's commandments, that he's walking in them. So keeping the commandments, executing God's judgments, that means being a just uh, judge and caring for the people, and then walking in God's statutes. Those are the things that if you do this, Solomon, here's the formula, the recipe for success. I'll do everything that I told David I would do, I'll do it for you. Now, we're going to see that that Israel strays from this rather quickly, it, it, really quickly. We're going to even see Solomon towards the end of his reign strays away from this and he starts worshiping foreign gods. It's really sad. But, uh, but you know, when you hear this idea that, okay, hey, I'm going to bless you, and this is all you have to do. How many of you guys are like, sign me up? God, if you're going to just shower blessing on me, I'll do it. The sad part is, uh, we're incapable. That's the sad part of the matter, is that, that when God starts showering blessing, we start wandering. Our hearts start wandering. We start not honoring God. We walk away from God. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus Christ died for you and for me, that you and I might be forgiven of sin, that you and I might, might not depend upon our own works for God's blessing, but we might depend upon the work of Christ. And now our allegiance is about depending upon Christ, not depending upon myself. So when I wake up in the morning, it's, Lord, help me today to walk in you. Help me today to make choices that are honoring to you, to worship you as I walk. Because the fact is, as I know, given the freedom, all the freedom of God and all the blessings of God, this heart will wander. It's prone to wander. It's sad. It's, it's a sad statement about the human condition. But just going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the garden, God set Adam and Eve in the garden. He said everything was good, couldn't be better. Every need was met. There was nothing that they needed, but yet the heart wandered. When Eve saw the food, that it was the, the fruit of that tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says that she saw that that fruit was good for food. Did she need food? Nope. At every supply. Didn't need food at all, but she saw that that fruit was good for food. She saw that it was pleasing to the eye. It looked beautiful. Why did it look so beautiful? Because she was told not to have it. Have you ever noticed that about the wandering heart of us? We're told don't touch. And we're like, oh, but look how good that looks. You know, I got to touch it. You know, that's what we do. Uh, I, I know that from not only myself, but having kids. Uh, <laughs> if you say don't do that, you just see the heart, like that. you just see them start moving closer to that thing they're not supposed to do. And you're like, well, I just told you don't touch it. When I was a kid, I had a problem with touching soldering irons and hot things. First of all, I don't understand why my dad had soldering irons always laying around the house. Like, what was he doing? I don't even know. Dad, I know you're probably watching this. Why were you leaving soldering irons on all around the house? I don't know. But uh, my dad would always tell me, don't touch, that's hot. He would leave, and sure enough, I'd go, ha! <laughs> yeah, I was a dumb kid. Anyway... <laughs> As much as I want to blame my dad, it was my own volitional will and sinful nature that said, touch that soldering iron, and I got burnt. 
Eve saw that it was pleasing to the eye, and she saw, saw that it was desirable for making one wise. Did she need more wisdom? No, she didn't need more. She didn't need anything. She didn't need any greater wisdom, but yet that wandering heart, she took it and ate it and gave some to her husband who was with her. And so is the story of man. And so when we consider this idea of, of God being with us and God giving us these promises, really what we have to come to the conclusion of is I am not capable. I am not capable of walking in holiness by myself. I am not capable of keeping God's commands by myself. And that is why the scriptures tell us that you have to die to the law. You've got to be crucified with Christ. You are now dead to the law and alive in Christ, and now it's by faith in the Son of God that you now continue to walk in Christ. And, uh, and that is what, we, what, what our goal is. Now, as Solomon is building this temple, and, and we're going to see that there's great care taken for this temple, great, uh, beautiful cherubim, olive wood, gold inlaid things, and it's all that God may inhabit this wonderful place, Solomon gives us some wisdom in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. You can turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, uh, concerning the, the temple of God. And this is, sorry, I'm going to make my markers here. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Psalm, verse 1 says, uh, Solomon says, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God, and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. It's good wisdom. It's, uh, be, be careful as you walk into the house of the Lord, you should walk to listen to God, not to just bring some sacrifice, some offering, and, and give this sacrifice of fools, not allowing God to impact your heart or, or, or minister to you or teach you. Look at verse 2. Do not be rash with your mouth and let your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known by his many words." When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have owed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity, but fear God. And so... Solomon gives us wisdom about approaching the house of God and, and having ears to hear rather than a fool's mouth to speak all sorts of boastful things or make uh, rash vows. And uh, we, we, t we tend to do that. You know, how, how many of you have ever been in a situation of hardship or a dire situation and you're quick to make a vow? God, if you'll only do this, then I'll do this. You know, we make these vows, these, we try to deal with God. And uh, that's rash, and you shouldn't do it, because more than likely, you can't keep it. So rather, just depend upon God. Just say, Lord, please, and bring your request before him. The, the Bible tells us that the, the prayers of the saints, those who are in Christ, it's like incense before the throne of God. It just hovers there before the throne of God. There's not a single prayer that you make that God doesn't know, doesn't hear. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't just ignore your voice. Rather, he's, he loves to have this relationship with you. 
So he says, don't make these, don't, don't, do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter. In the book of Judges, Japheth, one of the judges, he goes out to battle and he's really stoked on, on defeating his enemy. And so he makes this vow. He says, God, give me victory today. Now God is already going to give him victory. Give me victory today and I'll offer as a burnt offering the first thing that walks out of my door when I come home. Now, I, I don't know what Japheth was thinking because, I don't know, maybe, maybe he just had all sorts of animals hanging out inside his living room. It is possible. And maybe, you know, oftentimes they kept animals, their living room or house was also a stable. But uh, he comes home after the victory in the battle and the first thing that runs out of his door is his daughter playing the tambourine and singing praises to him. And he says, oh, daughter, boy, have you brought me so much grief today. Was it his daughter that brought him grief or was it his rash vow? And, and so he tells his daughter what, what he, what he, the vow he made. And his daughter says, well, if you made this vow to the Lord, you got to keep it. Now, the book of Judges is not a, a book for us to follow. It's a book for us to not follow because there's a theme that goes through Judges that says in, in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as he saw fit in his own eyes. And uh, the story is a sad story. Um, hard to know whether uh, what if Jason, it's hard to imagine that he literally sacrificed this girl uh, not to mention that I don't believe God would ever even receive that kind of a sacrifice given his character and the fact that he was vanquishing the peoples of the land because of their sac- human sacrifice. But nonetheless, be, beware of rash, hastily vows before God. There, there's one vow you should make. And Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. That's it. Just make that vow. Just, just come to Christ. Well, the Bible tells us now that uh, we don't worship in a temple made by hands anymore. Uh, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, the, the temple of God is of no use to us, the believer, because Christ has died once for all. He's become the propitiation for our sins. That's a big fancy word for, the, uh, for this atoning sacrifice, this pleasing sacrifice to God, that Christ himself has become that work of God. He's also the expiation, another fancy word, that just means the removal of our, our sins. So he's our propitiation, that atoning sacrifice, and the expiation, the removing sacrifice of our sins. And so as a result of that, there's no need for a temple built by human hands anymore because Christ has actually become that wonderful offering that we no longer need to go by the blood of bulls or animals before the throne of God. No, no, no. Now we just go by Christ. We approach the throne of God boldly as the book of Hebrews explains in depth in the New Testament about being able to approach the throne of God through Christ's sacrifice. Well, Hebrew, 1 Corinthians tells us that we are actually the temple of God. Your, your body, the, those of us that are believers in Christ, that God's Holy Spirit has tabernacled, dwe- is indwelt in you, taking up residence in your life. And in 2 Corinthians, as Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church and correcting some issues, verse 11 says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you uh, our, our heart is wide open. 
You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted of your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak to you as children, you also be open. Verse 14, uh, sorry, verse 14 of chapter 6. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial, or, or the devil, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. It's a wonderful call to call out, come, to, to be called out from pagans or, or your uh, unbelieving state and into Christ. And the promise here is that as, as God tabernacles inside of us, he dwells in us we, and walks among us, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. It's all about Christ. See, Solomon has given this conditional statement in, in 1 Kings that says, if you do these things, then I'll be with you. But we're given a, a totally different promise that if we trust in him, Jesus Christ, then God tabernacles in us. Now, certainly going forward, you have to ask the question, well, how can I just live on in sin being in Christ? I can't do that anymore because what fellowship does the devil have with the, the house of God? No, no fellowship. Um, so we, we come out from our sinful ways. So uh, we've been given a better promise than Solomon and a more sure promise because it's a promise that's, that's in Christ Jesus, not in ourselves. And it's, uh, that's a wonderful promise. So Solomon built the temple, finished it, verse uh, 14 of chapter 6. Uh, built the inside walls of the temple with cedar boards from the floor of the temple to the ceiling. He paneled the inside with wood and covered the floor of the temple with planks of cypress. Then he built the 20 cubic room cubit room at the rear of the temple from the floor to the ceiling with cedar boards. He built it inside as the inner sanctuary as the most holy place. And in front of it, the temple sanctuary was 40 cubits long. The inside of the temple was cedar carved with ornamental buds and open flowers, all was cedar. There was no stone to be seen. So the temple has two main rooms. There's the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is going to rest. And then there's the holy place. So there's the most holy place and then the holy place. And the, the holy place has different fixtures. You can go back to Exodus and see how that was all laid out. Um, uh, but you see this ornamental a- aspect of carving. Verse uh, 19, And he prepared the inner sanctuary in the side the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. He overlaid it with pure gold and overlaid the altar of cedar. So uh, Solomon overlaid the inside of the temple with pure gold. He stretched gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. The whole temple he overlaid with gold until he had finished all the temple. Also he overlaid with gold the entire altar that was by the inner sanctuary. Inside the inner sanctuary he made two cherubim of olive wood, each ten cubits high. One wing of the cherub was five cubits and the other wing of the cherub was five cubits. Ten cubits from the tip of the wing to the tip of the other. Just take 18 inches and you can do the math. And the other cherub was uh, 10 cubits. Both cherub were of the same size and shape. The height of one cherub was 10 cubits and so was the other cherub. Then he set the cherubim inside the inner room. 
They stretched out the wings of the cherubim so that the wing of the one touched one wall and the wing of the other cherub touched the other wall and, and their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. Also, he overlaid the cherubim with gold. Then he carved all the walls of the temple all around, both the inner and the outer sanctuary with carved figures of cherubim, palm trees, open flowers, and the floor of the temple he overlaid with gold, both the inner and the outer sanctuaries. Are you getting the idea of how beautiful this, this temple is? I mean, it's incredible. The detail that's going into it, the gold. Uh, I mean, you, you get the sense that for Solomon, this is a very important work. This is something that he wants to give all of his devotion to and his treasure and all these things back to God. As, as I read through this passage and you consider the detail that goes into this, you, as you consider the, the precious uh, treasure that goes into the precious time that goes into it, it can't help but make you think about our own lives. Now, not that we can buy uh, God's grace, because you cannot. Uh, not that we can earn God's grace, because you cannot. It's a gift of God. But certainly, we can see how our devotion to things shows us what we love. And that's a challenge. It's a question to you about the things that you love. Now, for Solomon, remember that the building was the house of God, the house for the Lord. We don't build houses for the Lord so much anymore. We build houses for the body of Christ nowadays. But, but what I want to challenge you in thinking of is where is your devotion what is it that you invest your time, your treasure in, your, you, the, the detail of your life into? And, and that's a, a, a challenge to you to consider the things that you love most. And that's a challenge. I, I don't know what the, your answer is, but it's something that I always ask myself about. Man, am I, am I getting too far down the rabbit hole on this or am I going too much into this? But what's my time, my treasure, my devotion, uh, d- what am I giving to? You know, am I giving it to uh, <laughs> news organizations? The 24-hour news cycle just ruins our lives, right? Uh, it's just constant, ongoing. Uh, am I giving it to hobbies? Am I giving it? No, there's nothing wrong with having hobbies. There's nothing wrong with having freedom. You're free in Christ. But, but it's just something to look at. What is my devotion to? And when I see the, the detail that Solomon puts into the temple, it challenges me in my faith. Uh, because I love that, that David, remember, when he bought this plot of land, he, he, he said that he, the uh, Jebusite said, no, no, I'll give it to you. And he says, no, I won't give something to God that I didn't pay for that cost me nothing. I want to give something good to God. And uh, I, I love the fact that David had that heart. Solomon currently has that heart. We're going to see his heart drifts. But um, he builds this massive, amazing temple. Verse 37, in the fourth year, uh, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv, and the eleventh year in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month the house was finished, and in all the details and according to all its plans. So he was seven years in building the temple. Uh, That is where we're going to end it tonight. Uh, but I do want to challenge you with those things. You are the tabernacle of God. Uh, those who are in Christ Jesus, um, you depend upon him. But I do want to just challenge you on your devotion. Is it to Christ or is it to other things? And, and it's, it's worthy of thinking about how much time. You know, I, I, uh, I think that when you consider how you give to the Lord, time, treasure, all those things, uh, 
it shouldn't be always in a rush. It shouldn't be in a hurry. And it should be with a heart that says, God, this is a gift from you. I've set it aside. It should be with joyfulness. Uh, my family and I, we, we kind of always talk. I've, I've always told my kids that Sundays are set aside for the Lord. Now, I'm not legalistic about it. In fact, my oldest daughter today is at Disneyland because she's getting ready to go to the Dominican Republic on a mission trip. So she went to Disneyland today. And I said, oh, that's fine. You know, go. But in general, we practice this idea that Sundays are to the Lord. So that means that all Sunday, it's just a gift to the Lord. We're going to serve in church. We're going to be part of church fellowship, and we're going to make that a priority in our lives. And when you start to consider things that you want to give to the Lord, don't give in a hurried, rushed, or a have to. If you, you feel like you have to do something, it's not a gift to the Lord. It should be just something that's joyful and a heart in response to the, for your love for God. So let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this night, and we thank you, Lord, for these wonderful uh, ones that are being baptized tonight, Lord, that they're being identified with you, counted with you, Lord, and uh, we just give you all the praise for their lives and uh, their desire for you to show that you've tabernacled inside of them, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit and the wonderful gift, and Lord, now this church, as we come before you, we ask you to forgive us of sin, Lord, for rebellious acts, rebellious attitudes, uh, rebellious um, uh, intent <laughs> in things, Lord. God, we just pray that uh, we might have hearts set aside for devotion to you. And Lord, we know that we're prone to wander. So God, we ask for you to move in us, Lord. Let us walk in you with dependence upon you in faith, Lord. We thank you. Pray your blessing on each and every one here tonight as we consider this wonderful building that Solomon built. Lord, uh, we ask that you do that beautiful, wonderful work inside of us in each and every one of our hearts. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.